Bows and TKOs. Episode number one. The rebrand is finally done. I've been talking about it. I've been grinding for it, putting the work in. We got the rebrand done. And the Business and Buckets Podcast Network is presenting a weekly MMA podcast, just like we had done under the new name Bows and TKOs every week, most likely every Wednesday. May adjust that as time goes on. And uh, I, I'm fired up, man. Lots of cool things that I did to prepare for this. Um, one of my favorites is having my friends create different intro songs. So as you guys will hear this, we'll have the intro song. We're just going to enjoy it here for a second. We live. Thanks to my good friend, Shadow Devereaux, rapper named Foreshadow. Uh, he's been rapping for quite some time off the Indian Reservation. I grew up in Montana, and it was cool to see him with very loose guidelines. Just like, hey, 30 seconds, podcast intro, have some video running over it. Um, it, it definitely has a, a, hy- a hyphy kind of vibe to it. Get you fired up to talk about some fights because, I mean, how can you not be fired up talking about fights, going to the fights, it's just an adrenaline-type sport. And uh, we have a loaded show. We have pay-per-view action in Canada for the first time in quite some time this weekend. Controversial main event this past weekend. But as you know, before we talk MMA, we're still talking the one and only sponsor here for Bose and TKOs, and that is Field Supplements. So it's time to transform into your ultimate form with Powerhouse. The Jimmy House-inspired pre-workout, the multi-stage stimulant system delivers efficacious doses of TCAF green, Infinergy, Aria Gerenis, bitter orange extract, theobromine, and more. It boosts natural testosterone with KSM-66, ashwanga, horny goat weed, and 12 milligrams of boron citrate to increase free testosterone levels. We'll have nitrocygene, creatine, monohydrate, stacked with endless endurance. We've included a clinical dose of both pure citrulline and nystrogene, uh, a patented complex of bonded arginine silicate for the maxed out muscle pump that you've come to expect from our efficiently dosed products. I wasn't a guy that grew up on supplements. I was broke. Family didn't have any money to do anything like that. I didn't even take protein at the time. And since I've gotten older and and, and messed around with supplements, I I enjoy a good pre-workout. I've had all kinds of pre-workouts, the old C2, pretty much anything and everything jacked. I love what Field Supplements has offered. If you look at the reviews, some of the best in the business, guys that, you know, review all the pre-workouts imaginable, big dudes that like a big nasty pump. And since Field Supplements... Uh, Josh Mord and Jimmy House have partnered on this. It is the purest uh, pre-workout I've enjoyed. 
I just feel amazing when I'm in my pumps. It's long lasting. It's endurance. I'm not all, you know, itchy on the skin and don't have a big crash afterwards. I think that if you're a, a real big stim fan, the uh, blood rounds is probably the best for you. It just really freaking jacks you up if you really need that extra push. But dude, I'm telling you, powerhouse, this is where it's at. I uh, will also talk about pump house, the non-stim version uh, um, on, on later episodes. But go to fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code buckets. Keeping the same promo code B-U-C-K-E-T-S. You can get 15% off the pre-workout. High quality stuff. I'm hitting jujitsu after this. I had a an energy drink, but we're doing anything, man. This is a one of the best pre-workout, hands down, honest opinion that I've ever had. So fueled supplements, shout out, keep doing your thing. But we're going to jump right in as there's been some fun fights announced. And uh, if you follow Bows and TKOs on social media, obviously the YouTube channel, uh, Instagram going to be pretty active, and Twitter, at Bows and TKOs. I had done a matchmaker Monday. We'll save that for later. I'm going to do Thursday thoughts, consistent week posts, uh, uh, just about some fun things you could do while following on social media. And uh, really going to wrap up the posting and the, the behind the scenes. Uh, we're going all out. And on the other side, which I won't talk about too much because we'll be launching the episode, I have Business Unfiltered, the business editions where we interview entrepreneurs to have them tell their story, what led them to entrepreneurship, their trials, tribulations, successes, inspirations, all the details. Um, I'm going to be posting a lot of behind the scenes, IG lives, IG videos, stories about what it's like trying to run my podcast with, with no technical guidance. I've done all this by either asking people, Googling, done my own research, a little over two years in the, the, the making. Ideally, I would have loved to have this rebrand happen at the beginning of the year. But with life, I have a full-time job, right? I, I have other things going. It's like a fighter. They got other things uh, that they have to do. I'm a single guy. I don't have a family and kids, so I'm a little bit more loose than other people. But, um, you know, it, it's a lot of work to grind and, and a lot of new things to learn. Uh, TikTok, I started a TikTok for the first time. Bows and TKOs, Business Unfiltered. You can check those out as well. Just a lot of different things that uh, is part of the game that I wouldn't necessarily choose to do by myself. But uh, we'll, we'll be documenting the whole journey uh, through thick and thin here. Um, but let's talk some of the fights that have been announced. We have Roman Kapalov versus Claudio Ribeiro, UFC 291, as well as Matthew Simmelsberger and Johan Lanessi. I'll be seeing these guys in Salt Lake City. Uh, me and a friend uh, went golfing in Prescott, and I convinced them to come to Salt Lake City with me to go watch the fights. I probably would have done it myself, but uh, he, he got bought in, so I get to uh, enjoy the trip with somebody because it's a long drive to Salt Lake City. We have David Dvorak versus Steven Erkig, uh, UFC 289. We'll be breaking that down, uh, a change of opponent. Alexander Romanov, Blagoy Ivanov, July 1st, probably a fight night card. Huge, huge fight for these guys, a lot on the line. Uh, we also have... Jaelton Almeida and Curtis Blades going down on November 4th. This will be a five-round fight night main event in Sao Paulo, Brazil. You want to talk about uh, a scary man right now. There is not many more scarier than Jaelton Almeida. Uh, Gerald Mearshart's taking on Andre Petrosky in Boston, UFC 292. And Chris Weidman making the long-awaited return after the broken leg 
taking on another awesome UFC veteran. This is a great OG fight. Brad Tavares in Boston, UFC 292. And then we got Billy Q taking on Billy Quarantillo, taking on Damon Jackson, August 5th. And Yana Santos uh, taking on Macy Chiasin, July 1st on that fight night card as well. Uh, sadly, some high-quality opponent or uh, fighters off the UFC roster. Trevin Jones, Jared Vandera, Alir Latifi, and Tony Gravely off the UFC roster. Um, we've talked and broke down each of these guys' fights. They've been tenured fighters in the UFC. Alir Latifi just completing his contract. Um, Tony Gravely, I thought I definitely saw some potential in him. We'll see if they want to try to build their way back to the UFC or enjoy money elsewhere. And then... Um, this has been viral online. I don't know how, how official this is, but Alex Pereira and Jan Blakovich official bouts signed for UFC 291 in Salt Lake City. Can't wait for that one. But supposedly they have been promised the winner of this fight will get the title fight at light heavyweight. The winner of um, um, Jamal Hill and uh, oh, why am I blinking on his name? Let's see. I'm blanking on it. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I hate when you're so close. You just cannot think of it. Uh, Yuri Prashaka, Jamal Hill, the winner we'll be having there. So that, that'll be fun. We also have the UFC returning to Paris September 2nd. Uh, there'll be a card going on. Lots of international cards happening now that the world has opened up post-pandemic. Uh, and... This was announced on the Fight Night broadcast. There will be a UFC card for every weekend for the next four months. So summertime, fight time, enjoy it. And we'll be breaking it all down right here in Bows and TKOs. Now, before we talk um, PFL action that's happening Thursday, right now it's Tuesday uh, afternoon, um, only a couple of days away. So right as this comes out, PFL will be the next day. One of the things that I love, no matter who's in it, but is a, a definitely a, a high standard this year is the Ultimate Fighter. We had episode one between Chandler and McGregor, which uh, if you've seen McGregor and some of his antics of late, it's been quite the scene. And I think just watching him do work and some of the clips that they're saving for later episodes uh, definitely follows that. Episode one's always a, a lot of info, breaking things down, not a lot of momentum, uh, I do love the vets versus prospects idea. Uh, Chandler getting the vets. Uh, um, McGregor getting the, the prospects, I'm assuming because he had some his prospects of his own that he wanted. Uh, but somebody that does train with Connor, Brad Katona, is on Team Chandler. So that's also an interesting dynamic. Brad Katona, an ex-Ultimate Fighter uh, champion. I mean, the roster is pretty much stacked with, with pretty high-quality ve uh, veterans. So good luck to the prospects. Obviously, I don't know that much about them, but they're going to have a lot in store for them, especially uh, in the bantamweight division. And speaking of showing out, how about 406 alumni, four-time state champion out of Poplar, Montana, Hunter Azure, the number one bantamweight. Um, I got the blessing to wrestle him. I was not a high-level wrestler by any means. And the CMR uh, tournament out of Great Falls, Montana, one of the best tournaments at the time. I'm not sure what Montana wrestling is like anymore, but one of the, the best, it was 
higher quality opponents than state because in state you would wrestle the kids in your class. This one you get to wrestle all classes. I wrestled Hunter and he pinned me in the first round, so I can at least claim that as uh, as part of my glory. But uh, I was very invested. You know, Hunter wrestled a lot of kids on my team in Arlie, Montana as well. High-quality guys, state placers, state champions. And you just knew this kid had the it factor. And my class, you know, I graduated high school in 2010, about to turn 31 on July 9th, coming soon. I, uh, there wasn't a path for awesome high school wrestlers to go to collegiate wrestling and make a career out of it. I brought this up. Multiple times, we'll keep tooting this horn, especially with the new rebrand, some new viewers. Um, let's say you're the best of the best. You wrestle for the Olympics. It, it, there's just no money involved. You know, um, maybe you're a gold medalist, which is, you know, the top 1%, top half percent. And that's still not worth a lot of money when in wrestling, you got to cut weight. You have to have a nutritionist. You have to have a, a strength and conditioning coach. There's just so many things involved where there's not a lot of money in wrestling. You have to go and do clinics to teach kids around the country, driving all the time, you know, making ends meet with a little bit of bread. And now with how popular the UFC is, there's an opportunity, not just the UFC, PFL, Bellator, to be an awesome collegiate wrestler, skip the Olympics, go straight into fighting. And although there's been lots of negativity around fighter pay, it still provides a career path for people that are just studs in, in martial arts, especially wrestling, um, other martial arts as well. But watching Hunter come, you just knew that him getting into the into fighting, he would put it together at some point. And I don't think he really had the most fair uh, UFC tenure. I'm not sure if he just had a couple fights signed and that, that expired and they just didn't renew his contract or what. I, I was hoping he would have an opportunity to come back to the UFC. And then they announced him being part of the Ultimate Fighter roster. And obviously, I was super stoked. And uh, I would love to have Hunter on as one of my future visions of what I'm going to do with some off-topic uh, Bose and TKO episodes is having fighter stories. I live here in Phoenix in the Valley. Part of why I moved here, it's a gym mecca for, for uh, MMA, not just the UFC, but you have Fight Ready, you have the MMA Lab. There's so much quality talent out here in so many gyms. Fighters purposely live here to come train and better themselves. And Hunter here being in the back door, training at a Fight Ready, would love to have him come on, talk about his story, what, what this experience has been like. But obviously, he had a couple fights with a few different promotions to, to get things going uh, in Haver and, and, and around surrounding states. Then fought in the LFA, rattled off three uh, wins in the LFA at the end of 2018 and 2019. Had his Dana White Contender Series opportunity against Chris O'Conn in July, uh, my birthday actually, July 9th of 2019. Um, I believe I was watching an international fight week that year. I think it was the John Jones, Tiago Santos fight, but um, that was exciting. It's like, hey, he gets a Contender Series shot, he wins this, he gets in. So he wins it and he gets ex-Ultimate Fighter champion Brad Katona and beats him. Uh, that September, and I'm like, cool, he's going to be a, a UFC mainstay. The bantamweight division is probably the deepest division in the UFC. I've debated with people. I think the top of the lightweight division is the best talent and the, the most superstar potential, but the depth of bantamweight is insane. Guys like Tony Gravely can't even make it. So then he fights Brian Kelleher, 
this is definitely a tough fight as Kelleher fights a lot of younger guys. He's a veteran. Um, Kelleher ends up getting a, a knockout finish. Hunter definitely, you know, still learning, young in his career, um, uh, was completely gassed out, and I don't think that helped. So he comes back, defeats Cole Smith, and then it fights Jack Shore, who's undefeated. You know, he, he's moved up to featherweight since then, but an amazing talent that I know that will be in the top 15. And then is no longer in the UFC, and I'm like, come on. He went 2-2, two and two, um, has a quality win against Brad Katona, Contender Series alum, so I was, I was a little shocked at what happened there. But maybe, you know, Hunter wanted to go build some momentum elsewhere. So then he fights an icon FC, uh, Jorge Masvidal's promotion. He gets rear naked choked by Keith Richardson and then fights for a fusion fight at a, uh, fight league in Boise beats a guy named Ben Holier, very unanimous decision. And, uh, you know, haven't heard from him since the end of last year. So then you get the ultimate fighter. And I think he was the last name called by Chandler in the matchups. Cause they got to pick the teams, vets are, uh, prospects. Then you pick the rankings and pick the matchups and he picks, uh, Hunter is your, you, your boy Mike Chandler knows the potential of Hunter is your, the wrestling background. Chandler's got that experience. He's, he, he's got good hands. He just needs to work on some of that gas tank, some of that uh, just like high fight IQ stuff, how to, how to have the endurance for 15 minutes, how to pick his moments, not to get too aggressive too early. And I'm, gra- I'm really glad he's on Chandler's team. I think Chandler's really going to be invested in the veterans, uh, knows the potential of him. It was his number one pick. And that's a, a very uh, bold thing, bold statement, honestly, for Chandler, in my opinion, and uh, is a huge thing for Hunter. Hunter's been plugging this on uh, social media. So really excited to see what comes from it. But for me, this is what's more exciting, even ab- above McGregor, anything. 406 alumni, small town Indian reservation stud out here in Phoenix with his family doing the damn thing. Can't wait to see how that shakes out. Uh, but the fight didn't last very long. I mean, there's not a lot to talk about. It was like, I think, eight seconds. Poor guy has to stay in the fighter house, leave his family, gets knocked out in eight seconds against a very, very good alum, though. And another guy that I'm kind of shocked isn't with the UFC anymore. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but let me see if I could pull up the cast here. Roosevelt Roberts. So very quality. I mean, you got Timur Valiev, very good fighter. Brad Katona, Carlos Vera, Roosevelt Roberts, Austin Hubbard. I mean, some pretty high quality people in here. So it should be a fun season. It's a different dynamic. Yad Chandler, Yad uh, McGregor. There's already been the glimpses of him pushing him, all this stuff. I'm hyped up. The first episode, though, it's the first episode just like anything else. It's going to take some time. But Boza TKOs, we're riding the Hunter is your train. Uh, if you're not first, you're last. Let's get this fucking bread. Come back to the UFC. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be your number one fan. We'll be out there supporting. And then we have um, the PFL this Thursday, 7 p.m. The probably, I'd say top three. Um, uh, PFL talent, Brendan Longname taking on Jesus Pinedo, uh, in the regular season should be a, I want to say an easy win, but very winnable fight for Brendan. We got Mo Vlid, Kabuyalev taking on Tyler Diamond, Bubba Jenkins taking on Joe Singh Bin. Got a root for Bubba Jenkins. He's been on a roll, not necessarily for the 
uh, regular season rankings. I believe these are just exhibition fights, but Marlon Marias, the ex-UFC fighter looking for his first win outside the UFC against Gabriel Braga. Um, tough, tough loss for him last time. Really interested to see how this shakes out. And then we have Chris Wade taking on Ryoji Kudo. So some decent featherweight action in the PFL during the week. Don't even have to wait for the weekend. But let's recap what happened last weekend. And yes, excuse me. I have Invisalign getting used to it. I'm dry mouth. It's weird to talk. I'm like, don't have the enunciation that I'm used to. It's a work in progress. But we had a Apex card, UFC Fight Night 74. I made a, a nice crisp $1,000 on a parlay. It wasn't all fights. Put a couple baseball games in there. I think I put a basketball game in there. Nice little parlay, but I went 6-3 and three on picks. Feel pretty good about myself. Uh, I'm going to try to keep posting fight picks um, on, on all socials. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, post my standings over the course of the year so we can keep track, keep some accountability of what's going on. But some good fights that we did not break down. We had Damon Blackshear with a second-round TKO over Luan Lacerda. And, you know, it was a scrap for him. He's take, uh, fighting a jiu-jitsu guy that was looking for ankle locks, knee bars, was all over him. He played calm, cool, collected, was able to outlast Luan, land big shots over and over, second-round TKO. The biggest shocker of the night, late, uh, I want to say just a couple days out, because Jamie had a couple different opponents, Muhammad Naimov making his UFC debut, getting the second-round KO over Jamie Malarkey at plus 370 odds. UFC debut, welcome to the league. Also, performance of the night, 50 Gs. Huge, huge moment for Naimov. Seems like a quality opponent. I would say definitely was losing round one. Found his shot, found his moment. That's the fight game for you. Brutal loss for Jamie Malarkey. But welcome to the UFC, Muhammad. 50 Gs. And very quick, impressive submission victory. Kareem Silva with a first-round submission via knee bar. I saw somewhere they changed it to a Z-lock. All pretty much the same. Her, her, her knee popped out right away over Ketlin Souza. Very, very good jiu-jitsu. Another nice win for Kareem. And before we start in the first fight that we broke down, I wanted to, to talk about this because, I mean, this is brutal. As tough as it is to be a fighter... Imagine being a veteran of the, the sport, or the promotion, we could even say. Tim Elliott is a, a mainstay of the flyweight division. The flyweight division is the smallest division. It's 125, which, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm from Montana. My whole family's big. Not, not to make an excuse on genetics or anything. I'm just, a, I'm a big guy. You know, I'm okay with it. It's not that big of a deal. I'm working on it. But um, these grown-ass men are 125 pounds. The UFC tried to cut out the, the um, weight class. It wasn't a mainstay, right? Before the WEC acquisition, there was no 125. It had struggled to really sell tickets. I love it now. I think the competition, the speed is just an unreal. I'm a big fan. I like to, to fight for the flyweight division. So you got Tim Elliott, who's 36 years old. And, and I mean, came in from Titan FC. He was a Titan FC champion. And fought Demetrius Johnson for the flyweight. Welcome to the UFC. Loses Demetrius, Mighty Mouse. Gets fight of the night, his next fight, and a win against Luis Smoka. 
He fights guys like Divison Figueredo, Askar Askarov, Brandon Royval, which was fight of the night, Jordan Espinoza, Ryan Benoit, Mathus Nikolaou, Tagir Olenbekov, and then this really good young fighter, Victor Altamirano. Done anything and everything. He has 19 wins for them and uh, has definitely helped out the promotion. I mean, Tim, Tim Elliott's made a lot, of, a lot of headlines this week about his personal life. I'll, I'll, I'll sidetrack that one. But he tweeted that he had flown his family out to Vegas. A guy that has this much of a career gets to fight in front of no fans or very few at the apex. It's all rich people because all they do is allow you to buy VIP packages. It's not normal standard seating. Like, you know, I make a pretty good amount of money. I'm funding my own podcast to... I can't afford an Apex fight. Thousands of dollars to go sit in there, which uh, what I love about UFC in person is the energy and just the chaos, and you, you meet like-minded fight fans. You know, it's a pretty high-ticket item to go see, but then in here, it's like I couldn't even be that excited. It'd be kind of weird. I don't know. It'd just be a weird experience in my mind. But for Tim, he flies his family into Vegas, excited to watch him fight, everything he's done for the sport, and now all of a sudden, fighters don't even get tickets for their family at the Apex. I mean, you know, I'm not a, a, a businessman like Dana White. Dana White's done very good. Love, her, love him or hate him, he's helped develop the UFC to a beast of what it is today. You know, what he did in COVID just kept battling through. I loved a lot of that mentality, and he has a lot of similar mentality to me. But as... The fighter pay isn't anything that's like mind blowing to have a veteran or even your fighters. You're not supporting them at all. You can't even give their family tickets. I hope after her seeing this, he gave Tim's family tickets. I, Tim didn't talk about it in the post fight interview after the victory. He talked about um, having a injuries and a bad camp and wanted to put on a better show. But I mean, this is just chaos that, that, that Dana White and the UFC is not letting their fighters bring their family in. Um, you know, it's not an affordable situation for fight fans. I mean, I just feel like if they're going to run the Apex this often, they need, a, they need to change that up. But maybe for them, they have enough, you know, connecting with the full send, Nelk Boys, all this shit. Maybe they have enough rich people to buy these tickets all the time and they don't care about anybody else. But to grow the sport, the average household can't afford an Apex fight. That's a lot of them. Their favorite fighters, their fighters' families can't even go. Uh, I, I think there needs to be a change of course here. It doesn't sit right with me, you know what I mean? Regardless, there's always drama in the world of sports. If there wasn't drama, there wouldn't be ratings. We want to be talking about it. That's what they're doing. They want us to talk about it. We're talking about it. So let's start in the prelims. We're cashing that underdog ticket here. Felipe leans with the unanimous decision over Maxim Grishin. And uh, this fight went pretty similar to the way I thought it would. I thought the fast hands and power of Felipe, which we saw really early in round one, uh, would continue throughout the fight. I didn't think he'd be wanting to clinch up with Maxim, put him on the cage as much, especially at the beginning of the fight. He had him rocked, and then he goes straight up to the cage and tries to wrestle him. Maxime, great takedown defense, uh, You know, had a wide stance, never let Leans get the locked hands behind, the, uh, behind him to get the takedown. And I just thought it was kind of a weird strategy. Either way, he got it. You know, Felipe's had an interesting career with heavyweight, coming back down to light heavyweight, won the PFL. 
I definitely feel like he's he's uh, better suited at light heavyweight and looks like the better fighter in this division. But um, yeah, I'm a little shocked it went all three rounds. I think he he showed really good striking against a, another savvy guy that's been everywhere, has a lot of experience, does really well, and uh, was able to, to to find a way and path to victory. Which sometimes that's what you got to do. It's not going to be pretty. It's not what people expect. You still get the win. You get to keep moving on up the ladder. Uh, statistically, Felipe landed 50 total strikes, 45 of those significant. He had one takedown and three attempts compared to Maxim's 103 total and 41 significant strikes while going 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. So Felipe extends his winning streak to three, all three of them since he returned to light heavyweight. Seems like a good match here. And Maxime starts a new losing streak. He is 2-3 and three in the UFC since the beginning of 2020. So definitely been a, a tough couple of years here. What's next for these gentlemen? I would love to see Felipe in those hands against Daun Jung. I think that would be phenomenal, like a must-see uh, uh, bout. While Maxime could take on Nikolai Nigamaranu, I think that would be another awesome, high-quality, stylistic matchup with the kickboxing that these guys possess. And, you know, where Maxime is, Nikolai is, they're going to need to win. You know, Felipe and Daun, that's more of a, a positive momentum matchup. But damn, those are some fun fights in the light heavyweight dis, uh, division. And then this underdog did not cash for me as Dontel Mays had a second round knockout over the pit bull, the veteran, the legend, Andre Arlovsky. And I thought Andre looked good round one. I thought he was, you know, pacing himself in this fight to win. He did get connected on by a couple of big shots of Dontel. And that's that's life in the heavyweight division. You know, Dontel lives through his knockouts. He was able to find the mark a couple times. And uh, Andre got really lucky by, at the end of round one that he, he kind of got saved by the bell. Round two, I'm sure he still wasn't himself. Uh, Dontel was able to get the clean knockout finish. Massive win to have Andre Arlovsky on your resume. Dontel has got to be feeling great. Andre only landed 26 total strikes, 24 of those significant, compared to Dontel's 28 total and 25 significant strikes. He had one knockdown and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So Dontel starts a new winning streak. He is 1-1-1 one, one, one since the beginning of 2022. Andre extends his losing streak to 2, and he is 2-2 two two since the beginning of 2022. Where do these gents go next? Well, I have uh, Andre and Chris Barnett as the must-see matchup. I think that would be a fun matchup. Uh, guys that have suffered a few losses, um, you know, definitely could use a win, but are, are, are going to put it all out on the line. And for Dontel, I had him up against Alir Latifi, but Alir recently just got cut after I had put that down. Um, but, you know, he'll be climbing up in the division. Um, although he's 1-1-1, one, one, and one, uh, he's definitely going to uh, be trying to get uh, another win on his record. And that was it for the prelims. We're going to start in the main card, the return of Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos with a split decision over Abubakar Nurmagomedov. And um, this was a, a pretty damn close fight. Uh, clearly, Elizu uh, had a little bit better striking, a little bit quicker. Uh, we talked last week, previously in Business and Buckets, but we talked about um, him being out for a tainted substance, supposedly, but still got USADA popped um, and, and has definitely fought some high-quality opponents. Definitely had a little bit of ring rust out there, but was able to land the bigger strikes in the bigger moments. 
and was able to avoid the takedowns in Nurmagomedov. Statistically, Abubakar landed 48 total strikes, 29 of those significant. He did have one takedown, although in seven attempts, so not very good there. Alizal had 50 total strikes, 42 significant, so more strikes, uh, you know, quite a bit more significant. And he was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts himself. I can't remember if it's Alizal or Alizal. Uh, we'll just say Elizao extends his winning streak to two. Abubakar has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak, and he has two and two in the UFC. I would love to see Elizao fight Daniel Rodriguez, uh, a top 15 names, you know, main staple of the uh, UFC, been there forever. Uh, give him a chance to get right back in there with some top-level competition after some time off. He beat a, a good Nurmagomedov, let him keep climbing up the ladder. And for Abubakar, how about Gilbert Urbina, uh, who just came off a win recently? That would be the fight to make for me. And before I talk about the next fight, which we got right, by the way, um, you know, I'm not going to perfectly announce everyone's name. I studied broadcast journalism and was a sports reporter for some time. I think getting people's names correct is very important and something that I, I you know, want to pride myself in. I heard it on the telecast. I didn't write it down. I forgot. You know, to me, it's crazy that a lot of these play-by-play guys will say fighters' names wrong for a long time or differently, and they don't go and address the fighter. Like, if I was talking about an athlete, I'm going to go ask him, like, how do you say your name? Uh, one of my favorite examples of that was a punter for the um, San Diego Chargers at the time, and uh, he was like a Pro Bowl punter. I forget his name. Been in the league for a long time, and everyone announced his name wrong. Finally, someone asked him, how do you actually say your name? And, and it was different, so... That's one thing I'm going to pride myself with. Some of these names are hard as hell, too, especially with all the international fighters. So, you know, I am human. Um, but that's something that I, I, I here at Bows and TKOs, we're trying to, we're trying to finesse. And um, because this is Bows and TKOs episode one, just a quick background on um, my... Actually, after we break down this card, before we... After we recap this card, before I break down UFC 289... I will we'll talk about how I became a fight fan and what my background is. So the veteran Tim Elliott, very tough fought unanimous division decision over Victor Altamirano. And uh, he went to the classic Tim Elliott well that he had to do. He had to get this to the ground. He had to tire out a very non-typical striker in Victor. Uh, if you watch Victor's UFC debut against Venetius Salvador, I mean, these guys are just crazy. Uh, the talent that comes in, just the the willingness for these guys to just be like artists in the octagon and do whatever comes natural is so much fun to watch. And I think is why the UFC is going to improve its quality so much over the next decade. And Tim Elliott, you know, he's 36 years old. He's been there, done that. He had to take the guy down and, and get some ground and pound. Let him up, get a couple strikes, get the ground and pound going, get, get the takedown going. And uh, it's not always the prettiest way to win, but again, sometimes you got to win. A football game, sometimes you, you, you win with no passing. You just have to run right down their throats. That's kind of how I see the wrestling version of UFC fighting when you just have to take the guy down. But uh, wins are important. You get paid to win. Uh, people forget about that. You make half of the money if you don't get the win. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But uh, much like Biz being said with Tim after the uh, fight, like, hey, man, you still went here, fought a very good opponent, and did the damn thing. I mean, he landed 153 total strikes, 
which a lot of them weren't big, you know, significant strikes while standing, only 28 significant. A lot of that was body shots to the ground and pound. He had six takedowns, which what is great about this is in seven attempts. So almost any time he wanted the takedown, he got it. Uh, Victor did land 102 total, but only 19 significant. So a lot of his strikes were on his back landing uh, to Tim. He said he got him in the body really good. Let Victor hit him in the body really good on the ground. And that actually almost changed the fight, which is you would have never known because Tim's on top. But sometimes these guys from bottom are learning how to strike pretty good off their back. And uh, Victor did have one takedown as well. So Tim extends his winning streak to two. He is three and one since the beginning of 2021. He stays at number 11 in the rankings. And Victor has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He is three and two in the UFC. So I guess when I said, did you watch Victor's UFC debut, I was wrong. But he's still early on in his career. So what's next for Mr. Tim? I, I, I think there's a ton of potential opponents for him in the top 15. I would like to see him take on Matt Schnell, somewhat of a similar style. Uh, Schnell's had a lot of withdrawals, injuries. He could just use a fight, so let's make that one happen. And for Victor, how about Charles Johnson? Energy Johnson, that would be the fight to make in the flyweight division. But the man that needs to get all the love this night, Jim motherfucking Miller with the first round knockout, although it was a short notice opponent over Jesse Butler in his UFC debut, he also earned another 50G performance of the night. And I just feel like Jim Miller does not get enough love. All the octagon time, all the records, all the fucking wars, all the highlights, all the memories. People forget he battled Lyme's disease, wasn't the best version of himself for a long time. You could only imagine if he was healthy, what that would look like. In this fight, there's not a lot to talk about, but we do need to give Jim the respect where it is due. I loved what he said to Bisbing after the fight. If you want to come at me, I might not look like the guy that, he didn't say this specifically, but you know, Jim doesn't look like a guy that you're like, damn, if I rush that guy, I'm scared. But he is slick with it. He stood in the pocket and cleaned the clock of Jesse Butler. Young Jesse Butler learned a big lesson coming in there. I'm just going to take this old guy out. And that happened very uh, on, on the opposite end. Amazing, spectacular showing for Jim Miller. You love to see it. It only took him three total insignificant strikes with that knockdown. And Jesse only got one total insignificant strike landed. Uh, Jim does start a new winning streak. And, you know, with, with all the fights, all the experience, he is 4-2 and two since the beginning of 2021. So he has put together some quality wins. Jesse has his five-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak in his UFC debut. At least he was game. He was willing to come in. He wanted to take some chances with the wrong guy to take some chances. Jim says he likes to brawl. You're going to get in there and let me scrap. We got to see it. And I, I love to see that version of Jim Miller. What is next for Jim? That's what I want to know. I mean, he barely fought. I would assume he'd want to get back in there quick. That's just the, the kind of guy Jim is. And as many records as he has, he's pretty close to some of the best ones. I would love to see the MMA world. Bows and TKOs would love to see Jim Miller versus Michael Johnson for a legacy fight. Could you imagine the scraps of Michael Johnson and Jim Miller? We got to put this into the universe. We got to make that happen. I guarantee you, if someone gets gist of that or someone gets a call, hey, do you want to fight Jim Miller, Michael? Absolutely. Hey, Jim, you want to fight Michael Johnson? Absolutely. So let's make this happen for the legacy fight. 
it's kind of surprising that these guys haven't squared up and, and or fought each other this far in their career. I mean, these guys have fought everybody. I got to see Jim Miller beat uh, Cowboy Cerrone in Vegas. I believe it was that Nunez card where Pena shocked the world, and, and that was really cool. Although it wasn't a, you know, the best version of Cerrone, uh, it was really cool to see those two. And I'm sure Jim loves going to bed at night having Donald Cerrone on his record. Both of these guys are probably feeling the same way about, about each other. And for Jesse, if he is still in the UFC, I'm not sure. Usually you get at least a couple of fights uh, when you get up to the UFC for a short notice fight. I'm not sure what the deal is, but if he still is in the UFC, how about Vakashlav Borshev, who's coming off a victory? I think that'd be a fun matchup to make. And speaking about showing out and needing some love, how about Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres? Unanimous decision over Daniel Pineda. Another fight we got right. Fight of the night and deservedly so. And this one had me sweating. I was watching the Diamondbacks play the Braves. Acuna had just gone yard. And I'm sweating because if the Braves win and Alex wins this fight, I'm getting that that $1,000 parlay. So I I was tuning in on ESPN Plus at the baseball game. I'm one of those guys. And uh, the fro was in action, man. He was flowing. He was looking good. He came off that beautiful head kick victory against Julian Arosa. And I figured he'd be too much on the feet for Daniel Pineda. And uh, he was just able to outlast him. You could tell by round three, Daniel, Daniel's body language is like, I could barely stand up right now. Sometimes with the volume that these guys deliver, plus the ground game, you know, uh, Alex has good jujitsu just like Daniel, but he was posturing right. He was doing transitions well. He was willing to, to give a little bit, but he would stand up and strike when he needed to. And by round three, Daniel was just completely gassed. Beautiful performance all around the octagon. You love fights like this that that really display mixed martial arts. You get a little grappling. You get a little jujitsu. You get a little boxing, a little bit of kickboxing. That's what I love to see. Um, And that's what MMA is all about. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that as these young kids come in and learn MMA. They're not just a taekwondo specialist. They're not just a karate specialist. You get my point. They're learning it all. And that this is what makes it so much fun. And why I've been a huge fan of Alex Caceres for a long time. So Alex landed 86 total strikes, 60 of those significant. He did have a takedown in two attempts and a reversal. And Daniel landed about half the amount of strikes, 43 total, 27 significant. He did have three takedowns, although in 11 attempts. So uh, again, I'm about to go to jujitsu after this. Three takedowns in 11 attempts. That, that, that's going to do something to the cardio, I'll tell you that much. Um, a submission attempt and a reversal as well. Alex now extends his winning streak to two. He is four and one since the beginning of 2021, and he stays at number 15 in the rankings. Daniel starts a new losing streak. He is one, one and one since the beginning of 2021. Alex is clamoring. I need a higher quality opponent. Uh, Bryce just pulled out of a fight due to injury. Maybe the timing will be right for recovery. I'm not sure exactly what uh, the injury from Bryce was, but give me Alex and Bryce. I think that would be just a fun one, just the the two different egos that are going on there, completely different people. It would be just a fun display of uh, mixed martial arts. And for Daniel, how about Bill Algeo? Either way, massive win by Bruce Leroy. Put some respect on this man's name. And then the probably biggest headline of the weekend, 
the controversial split decision victory by Amir Albazi over Kaikara France. And uh, I'm sure I would have made an emotional tweet or something about it. You know, I definitely want to step up my Twitter game during the fights and, and tweet a billion times, you know, do all that stuff. But uh, I remember watching Henry Cejudo and Aljamain and thought Henry Cejudo clearly won uh, a few gin and tonics deep at a bar in Salt Lake City. But um, I did not get the the experience a lot of fight fans is I did not watch this live. I was out celebrating my parlay victory after the baseball game and watched this the next morning. And, you know, obviously I get all the bleacher report updates and things like that. Of It was highway robbery, this and that. I think clearly as a fight fan, the scoring's always changed year over year. It's all about damage now. Kai clearly won this fight. Um, you know, the way you win fights is by winning rounds. It doesn't matter how good one round is. If you lose a bunch of others, you have to win the best out of five. And I think there's a debate. He won four to one. We'll just say it's three, two, but the fact that they gave the victory to Amir is, is pretty insane. When you look at the statistics, the statistics don't tell all this story. Um, you know, Amir definitely was controlling the center of the octagon, um, controlling some of the fight, but this wasn't the highway robbery that I saw a lot of people post. Uh, I think the Patty Pimblet fight was more of a highway robbery than this. Um, I think um, that there's a lot better examples of just like a straight robbery. Um, you know, Kai's like, hey, everyone know who won this fight? It cost me $100,000. To me, it's like you, I, I think you could have done a little more, right? You come in at the the, 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 the weigh-ins. You're, you're doing this and being aggressive like you really want this fight. And it, it took him a while to really get the Kai Kara France that we've seen, where I think the Brandon Moreno fight, we saw a better version of that. And, not, you know, that Mexican fighting spirit brought it out of him, in my opinion, brought it out of Kai. You know, big title fight, where here he's fighting a guy that's on an impressive run, a great record. Young hasn't fought the top-level competition, right? He's been talking, there's levels to this, you're not on my level. And Amir was able to hang. He was able to hang in the striking. Clearly, he's the better grappler. We knew that coming in. My question coming in is, can Kai stuff the takedown? He was able to, but not do it enough. And uh, if you really wanted to win this fight, you should have went out there and put a little extra on it. I thought he did a pretty good job in the in the fifth round, but I just feel like that wasn't the best Kai Kara friends that we've seen, and credit to Amir. No one's given credit to Amir. I mean, what this guy has done in a short amount of time is nothing but spectacular, but I think we need to chill out on the title shot. You know, he's, he's 29. He's just about to enter his prime. He has a 17-1 record. He continues to stay undefeated in the UFC. But outside of Kaikara, France, his best opponent was Zalgas Zumagalov, uh, which he got a decision victory. And I love Zalgas, not to talk down on him, but like, yeah, I mean, you're on an impressive run. You have one loss to your name. But there's a lot of guys deserving of that title fight, and we'll talk about one of them in a minute. Um, but yeah, I don't think this is a highway robbery. I've been clamoring for the flyweights to get more love. They finally get the main event opportunity, and this just wasn't the fight that's going to sell, right? Um, it was a high-quality fight. These are two very high-quality fighters, different um, strengths and weaknesses, and they put it all out there. But this isn't the fight that's going to give flyweight the, lo the love they deserved. And I thought we were going to see a little bit more viciousness out of Kai, uh, especially you know the lead-up and all the shit-talking and, and just the body demeanor and everything else. And uh, we didn't get that. You know, it was for a lot of people that aren't 
hardcore fight fans like myself, they're probably like, oh, it was a boring fight. So um, I think the flyweights definitely had a big swing and a miss. They caught a slider low and outside, put it all out there, and, and they're, they're looking at themselves like, what, what, what just happened? Statistically, I want to double-check this. The UFC's statistics sometimes, man, I, I get them off the UFC website. I mean, you would think going to them, that's the best. If I want to check out NFL stats, I go to the NFL website. You should feel pretty confident about that. And I talk a lot of shit on the UFC website. I mean, I've seen better uh, elsewhere. But uh, the UFC website says that uh, Kai Kara France went two for two in takedowns and Amir Albazi went one for nine. I didn't count and tally on a piece of paper. Don't got time for that ish. But that just doesn't seem right to me. Maybe I'm crazy. But that does not seem right. So I'm going to go and see if I could find another stat elsewhere. I'm seeing if SureDog lets you do that, but I don't see it. All right. Well, we'll just believe the UFC, all right? Probably not the best thing to do, but this is where it is. So according to the UFC, Kai landed 133 total strikes and 99 significant. I don't doubt that. But he had two takedowns, two for two, compared to a mere 64 total and 43 significant. I am validating those numbers with a takedown in nine attempts and a submission attempt. So he went one for nine. Kai was two for two. That just does not make sense to me from what I remember watching. But again, I didn't watch. I wasn't thinking about takedowns. I was thinking about rounds because I saw the thing controversial. And by the end of it, I had it 4-1 personally, but debatably 3-2 if you wanted to go there, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, statistically, he, he definitely dominated. I mean, we could do this real quick. The UFC t tells you how they broke it down by round. So, if we look at the stats... Round one, no takedowns. Round two, no takedowns. Round three, Kai got a takedown. Round four, Kai got a takedown. And they're saying Amir only had the takedown in round three, which I believe was the clear round for Amir, where he did have top control and, and dominated there. But also with Amir having no reversals, that made no sense because there was multiple rounds while, where Amir was on top with uh, top control and took but you know a lot of the round just controlling Kai, which obviously didn't help his case to, to really – sway the judges but yeah it's kind of chaos i mean i tune into i watch a lot of mma hour it's not always real time like i'm i like to watch just the the videos he posts of each fighter i don't watch the whole episode i'll watch the fighter interviews and see what's going on but he posted about addressing the the decision and he talked about hitting up some of the athletic commissions and trying to find a place where they could interview the press to at least see what their thoughts were. There just has to be better transparency here. And I know Dana's classic line is just don't let it go to the judges. It is what it is. I can't control it. But, uh, you know, in fights, there's always been controversial judging. Um, I don't know if that'll ever go away, but I, I would like to see a different there. We got to be able to at least talk to the, to the press open scoring. I mean, something's got to change cause this is just ludicrous. And uh, to Kai's credit, he lost $100,000 because of this, even though he didn't lose the fight, which you got to be a little bit more aggressive, I guess, and uh, go for it. And that's, that's the name of the fight game. You, you chose this career, I guess you could say. I mean, it, that's just the situation at hand. Uh, but it, it's just not right. 
just kind of like the Apex thing. I mean, if you actually cared, you'd make a change. There hasn't been any changes, so we'll see what happens. Either way, Amir extends his winning streak to six. He stays undefeated. He moves up four spots in the rankings to number three. And Kai extends his losing streak to two. He is three and two since the beginning of 2021. And he moves down two spots in the rankings to number five. So, Amir, I just don't think you are more deserving of the title shot than a guy who just fights the top dogs. And that's Raw Dog. Brandon Roy Vall has fucking really showed out lately. And I don't think he could leap him for a title shot. I mean, he could because he's been around for a while. But uh, I don't think the UFC will, will agree with that either. He's coming off wins against Mathus Nicolau, Matt Schnell, and Rogerio Bontorin. He's already fought Moreno and Pantoja, so there's that. But um, that was a couple of years ago. He's already beat Kai Kara France, beat Tim Elliott. Um, I think he's shown massive growth in all of his fights. We've talked about this before. I think that's the fight to make. And let's look real quick. When is the Brandon Moreno fight? I don't even remember. Let's look. So Brandon Moreno doesn't fight until July. So another month. I mean, there's plenty of time to, to run a, a title eliminator fight after that with maybe the winner of Roy Ball, Amir, getting the winner of Brandon Pantoja at the beginning of next year. Um, so that would make sense to me. But I just don't think you throw Amir over some of the other flyweights, especially a guy like Raw Dog who's done so many great things. Um, I think that would be not cool. But the problem is a lot of these guys have fought each other before. So outside of that, though, there's there's really not a reason, I guess, to put Amir. But for me, it just it sits better. You can't skip Brandon, man. You can't, you can't skip the Raw Dog. And for Kai... You about that action, man. Let's just let's just get you big time fights, right? Let's do like some city kickboxing big time fights. Let's let you square up against Manel Cop. Could you imagine? We've talked about stylistic matchups. To me, that's the fucking one to make. Let's let's make that happen. That would be box office, a potential main event type flyweight fight. But that's the fight night. The Apex card again went six and three. We'll be talking about standings throughout the year and hold some accountability to what I'm what I'm breaking down for y'all. But again, before we talk UFC 289, I quickly wanted to talk about how am I even an MMA fan? What kind of MMA fan am I? What got me into it? So uh, growing up in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere, there was no school wrestling. They had swimming and, and tennis instead, I believe. Um, so going to Montana, I am five foot, probably three at the time. Soaking wet, 110 pounds or so, 115 pounds. Uh, not the prototypical basketball size. All my friends played basketball. I liked basketball, decent little shot. Uh, you know, had a good IQ of the game, but just not the size of a legit basketball player, uh, especially for high school. So I think the football coaches, like, you should try wrestling. You know, I, I did pretty well at football, especially before everyone hit big growth spurts and outgrew me. I wish I was this size now back then, you know, that play football, but um, I wasn't. I was like 120 pounds. Um, I, I got into wrestling, and I hated it. I didn't have a family that showed me how to work out and get conditioning in. That was the, the first time I really had to push myself. But the life lessons, just the culture, the, the, the buy-in and the experience, I became a big fan of that. And every once in a while, uh, some of my good friends' parents 
would have fight parties with UFC. These are the Tito Ortiz, Randy Couture uh, uh, type days, uh, Chuck Liddell days. And um, back then there wasn't fights every weekend. It was like once every other couple months, there's a big time pay-per-view of stacked cards. And, and I was all about it. And I'd actually, you know, watch it. I was super into it at a young age. And um, obviously there's boxing, Mike Tyson. And I was just super into the, this kind of stuff as a fan. Uh, so I've been, you know, dedicated watching UFC for a long time. Um, since I would say, uh, Chuck and Tito too. I remember random guys like Kendall Grove, who was, seems like always was on the UFC cards. Uh, a guy that wasn't a superstar by any means, but, uh, a mainstay of the UFC. And, um, my first love of a fighter was probably Matt Hughes. Uh, also was a huge fan of BJ Penn. I mean, come on, BJ Penn, the prodigy, chuck a couple beers, come in and whoop your ass. I mean, golly, he was fun. Um, that grew into... You know, I was always an admirer, I would say, of GSP, but because I was a BJ Penn fan, you know, I, I rooted the other way sometimes. But, you know, really was a big admirer of GSP. Um, as I was in high school, you know, started to think I knew a little bit of something, something. I remember uh, there was a crop of new fighters that I was just super high on that weren't talked a lot about yet. Rose Namajunas, who were Ultimate Fighter Days, John Jones. I said they'd be champs one day. They're champs still a champ, potentially coming back to be a champ. And I just feel like I have a good, like, almost like a scout, a good barometer of, like, what's the potential in a fighter. And I think that came from watching wrestling because I was not a state championship wrestler. I got to watch all the high wrestlers, and sometimes I'd, like, pick the brackets and pick who I thought would win, and that's why I'm a big fan of Hunter. I mean, the, the guy was dominant. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I've really enjoyed the sport. I have not really broadened my horizon outside the UFC because I feel like, like Kai said, there's levels, right? The UFC's here, man, and everyone's just, it's it's like the NFL, the XFL, the USFFL, all that stuff. Um, I, I love that there's competition. I love that there's more opportunity for fighters because another reason why I love doing this podcast and talking about fighters they don't get enough love. They're normal fucking people. A lot of them could walk into a restaurant. Most people wouldn't even know. Um, and, and it's probably the hardest path uh, to a career there is in the sports world. I'm not saying, you know, like Francis Gano talked about working the salt mines. I mean, there's really hard work out there. Don't get me wrong. But the life of a fighter is no fucking joke. The mental fortitude, the physical wear and tear on your body. There's just so many things to it. Um, you know, the mentality of, I'm just going to beat your ass. You have to have that or you're going to get your ass kicked. And I did not have that at a young age. I was not matured. I was not a good wrestler. Point being, I've been watching the shit for a long time. I'm a big fan. But since I've done the podcast for two years and counting now, I've expanded my horizon into Bellator, into PFL, a little bit of one championship, BKFC. And as you'll see when I cover these other sports, a lot of it is ex-UFC fighters that I'm heavily talking about. And we're not breaking it down as deep. And the big reason is because is I get excited about it. Like, I got excited about Marlon Mariah's fighting in the PFL, and he just gets waxed, right? Um, the, a lot of the time, I think Bellator is going to show out. It's uh, I'm left like, oh, God, that was not very good, right? Um, I'm excited when Bellator does the Bellator Risen. It's kind of fun. One championship has some fun stuff here and there. Sage Northcutt just fought recently. That was fun. Mighty Mouse, um, maybe one of the last fights in his career. That was fun. But there's only very few moments there where the UFC, every card, 
I'm hyped about Felipe Lins, Maxim Christian. That was a high-quality fight. That's a tough fight to pick. I like to give myself credit for picking the underdog there. I don't know how many other people did, but he's the underdog. I beat Vegas. That's a big thing to beat. So that's my passion. That's my background. We're going to keep on doing it, and I'm excited to get a bunch of the fighters, obviously, here because I'd like to have them in studio and around the country to tell their stories so they could help give back to future fighters, the Raul Rosas of the world, like these young guys that are coming in don't realize you have to have a job and fight. Yet, you know, if you're having a family, what does that life look like? I think even a lot of uh, MMA fans, UFC fans, are at surface level with the fighters. They don't like when I'm looking at fighters. I'm looking about, you know, how much weight are they cutting? What's their energy and attitude? Do they have a family they have to worry about and they're taking a few L's? Like that's probably going to wear on their mental. There's a lot of things that you could look into picking fights that are behind the scenes that I would love to bring surface level, so that if there are kids that are in high school wrestling and are thinking about making a career path, they could hear what these guys' stories was, uh, relate to it, learn from it, and we can all better the sport together because there's not as much MMA coverage, right? That's a big reason why I'm picking it too. If I talk NFL, everyone already has all the NFL coverage. So we're going to break down MMA, we're going to talk UFC, and we're going to give it all we got. And uh, we're going to tell these fighter stories, and it's much like why I'm running the business episodes, is if I could influence another Shane that grew up in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, that's a win in my book. We didn't have that ability when I was a kid. So uh, let, let's spread the word. There's no secret sauce. Let's all help each other. Shit's hard. So speaking hard, let's talk UFC 289, massive pay-per-view in Canada. Can't wait to see how the Canadian crowd shows out. That's my, one of my favorite parts of watching uh, big pay-per-views when they're elsewhere. I've seen what the fight crowd's like. I've witnessed T-Mobile, um, going to witness Salt Lake. I haven't witnessed a lot of big UFC cards outside of Vegas. And it's cool when you see like some real hardcore fight fan crowds like Kansas City just happened recently. That was a great one. And sometimes they're not so great. So I'm excited to see Canada go out and see what they're all about this weekend. We're going to start in the early prelims, which are on Fight Pass, probably ESPN+. Plus. The prelims are on ESPN at 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, and then obviously the main card is pay-per-view. But we're going to start with David the Undertaker Dvorak. 31-year-old fighter with a 20-5 and record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Steven Astroboy Erkig, the 27-year-old fighter with a 9-1 and record. And we, we got to give the ranked flyweights credit. That's why we're breaking this fight down. I obviously don't know a lot about Astroboy. Love the nickname. He's 9-1, and and he's getting a tough opponent in his UFC debut. This is a late fill-in fight as Matt Schnell got hurt. Would have loved to see that matchup. Uh, but now David is getting an eternal alum who's on an eight-fight winning streak and making his UFC debut. You know he's hungry. He's going to take chances. And we saw this recently. Um, I forget his name, the big, tall Brazilian guy that fought Movsar Avloev. You never know. There's always a chance. That's why he's stepping in octagon. It's one of the most rawest upset potential thing. It takes one shot, one submission. Uh, David is an orthodox fighter. He's on a two-fight losing streak, both of them in 2022. He has not won since May of 2021. Eight of his wins are by knockout, eight via submission. 16 of his 20 wins are via finish. Unheard numbers from a flyweight. Steve, he's on an eight-fight winning streak, and six of his nine wins are via submission. Both guys with lots of submission victories. We know David, good striking, more of a counter-striker. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I think David will be too much for the young, young Astro boy. Um, the UFC obviously thinks highly enough of him to put him in there. 
against a raked opponent. Uh, but I'm going to take David, the Undertaker. I guess we better pull up these odds. I'm sure he's the favorite. Let's see. I just want to double check, you know? Can't remember. Sometimes these odds will shock you a little bit. They don't even have the odds. It says NA. Let's see if the UFC website has it. Which they have David as the underdog. I love it. I'm taking the underdog. The underdogs are back. They're coming to eat. We're taking David. We put him on that parlay as an underdog, and we gain that bread. Moving on. In the prelims, we got Kyle the Monster Nelson, 32-year-old fighter with a 13-5-1 record, taking on Blake El Animal Builder, the 32-year-old fighter with an 8-0-1 record, technically undefeated with a draw. And this is a fun fight between two men who are in their primes. They're in win-now mode, and they're fighting for their UFC lives. Maybe not Blake so much, but Kyle definitely. And uh, this one hits home a little bit. Uh, although I do not know Blake personally, he is close to my good friend Josh Morin, who, who helps with the Field Supplements uh, sponsorship. Um, heard some stories. So definitely uh, in the fan, the, the I want to say, that I guess, the bandwagon, but I'm a fan. I'll be rooting for El Animal. Uh, guys, a, a, a wrestling comes from a wrestling background. Looks like he outworks anyone. Posts a lot of social media behind the scenes stuff. Uh, seems like uh, definitely someone to buy into. But when we break these guys down, Kyle has a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight losing streak with the draw, um, and uh, is one four and one in the UFC. Surprised he still has a UFC contract. Five of his 13 wins are via knockout, four via submission. So nine of his 13 wins are via finish, which is pretty impressive. While Blake, he's undefeated, right, has that draw. He's on an eight-fight winning streak, two of them in the UFC. He's a Cage Fury, King of the Cage, and Dana White Contender Series alum. And four of his eight wins are via submission. Uh, you can watch Dana White Contender Series back on ESPN+. Plus If you've not heard about Blake, they have a cool video insert of him and Dana White talking about him because they usually don't look for 30-year-old dudes in the Contender Series. And four of his eight wins are via submission. So Kyle's desperate, right? He's 1-4-1 in the UFC. He's 32 years old. He has to win this fight. But Blake is going to make this his style of a fight. He's dirty. He's a wrestler. He's going to make it high pace. He's going to mix in takedowns. He's going to look to continue to stay on his bike, keep his feet moving. Um, if he does get a takedown early, I think he's going to have to be wary of Kyle's jits a little bit. But I think we'll see Blake is ready for a higher-level competition. I think he's going to uh, make a nice victory here. I'm taking Blake. We're putting him on that parlay. we marking it down, and we getting that bread. I think he is the Vegas favorite. Minus 240, Blake Builder. Moving on, we got Miranda Fear the Maverick, 25-year-old fighter with a 13-4 and record and the number 15 next to her name, taking on Jasmine uh, Jossa Davish, 34-year-old fighter with an 8-2 and two record. Now, um, I've talked about how much the MMA's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep telling this, especially with the rebrand. I don't know who's tuning in, existing or new. Um, 
the talent in the UFC with these kids learning MMA, coming out at a young age, coming out of high school wrestling, and getting right into MMA pro fighting, the skill of when I grew up watching the UFC to, to the next decade is going to be so dramatically improved. Well, you got to realize there wasn't women's UFC not that long ago. You know, now it's pretty commonplace. But some of these staple names in women's UFC have been around for quite some time. And these young girls coming in, the Aaron Blanchfields at 25 years old, Miranda Maverick, 25 years old, are so well-rounded and so good at one thing at such a young age. It, it makes women's fighting in the UFC really interesting. And I've even noticed a trend, and we'll probably continue, I'm sure we'll continue to see this, girls coming from Invicta and other promotions making their UFC debuts, getting quality opponents in the UFC women's rankings, and uh, making slight work of them. And, you know, I don't watch Invicta and these other women's promotions, but looking at their backgrounds sometimes, like, damn, these girls have some impressive resumes coming in. Um, but, yeah, these women both have a handful of UFC fights. There's a seven-year age gap. Both have been successful and are looking to move higher up into the rankings. You know, Miranda's 15 now, but looking to keep that top 15 and move up. Miranda trains at a team elevation. She has a brown belt in BJJ. She is an Evicta alum. She's on a two-fight winning streak, and she is 4-2 and two in the UFC. Six of her 11 wins are via submission. Now, Jasmine's on a one-fight winning streak. She is 3-1 and one in the UFC. She is a Dana White Contender Series and Cage Fury alum. And she does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. I think this fight's going to be fun as a striking battle. But as Miranda typically does, I think she's going to have a clear game plan, look to get Jasmine down. I believe she's going to be successful enough in that. She might not get every takedown, but she's one of those girls that'll continue. She'll, she'll go for a, a double switch to a single up against the cage, continue to go. She's not like a one-takedown one, uh, attempt pony, which there are a lot of those in the UFC. You, you got to string together those takedowns to really make it happen. I think DC is the best at breaking that down, you know, ex-wrestler. Um, I think she's going to find a way to a decision victory. Um, she's a little bit younger, shown the durability, shown the endurance. I'm taking Miranda. I'm putting her on the parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. She is a minus 295 favorite right now. Moving on. What a fun one this is. We got Khalil the War Horse Roundtree Jr., 33 years old, with an 11-5 record. And the number 13 next to his name, taking on Chris Dacus, the 33-year-old fighter with a 12-6 record. Now, this is an interesting fight for Khalil to take, in my opinion. You know, he's coming off three straight wins against Modestus Bukakis. Carl Robertson and a very, very impressive win against a high-quality opponent in Dustin Jacoby. Now he's fighting an ex-heavyweight fighter who is on a three-fight skid, is moving down to save his UFC career at light heavyweight. And I think this will be a solid fight. Chris Dawkins is still a dog. He's got the power coming from heavyweight. You know, Khalil does as well. But I thought he could have got a better opponent. You know, Khalil's fought a lot of the middle ground fighters for quite some time. And I'm ready to see him, especially after that, that Jacoby fight, take a leap. Balls for him to take this fight. He's always down his game. Uh, Khalil is a southpaw fighter. He trains at a syndicate MMA. He is an RFA and Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a three-fight winning streak and is 3-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. And seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. Now, Chris has a black belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Fury, Ring of Combat, and King of the Cage alum. 
He's on a three-fight losing streak at heavyweight, but against studs, right? We got to give him the credit. Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, Jarzinho, Rosenstrike. So again, three-fight skid, but against some dogs, some bangers. And he's a banger himself. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. Five of his six losses are also by knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, I think this is going to be a fun kickboxing fight. If this is a kickboxing fight, I'm taking Khalil. I believe he's going to be slick in the clinch. You know, he worked overseas in Thailand for quite some time. His kicks are going to pay big dividends. His kicks are nasty. Chris obviously has power as well. So does Khalil. I think Khalil is peaking right now, though, especially after moving around to all those gyms, taking in that knowledge, having it um, show up in his fights. Again, I picked Dustin Jacoby. Jacoby is a big, tall, freaking kickboxing style, and he out, he, out, he out bested him. Chris is fighting desperate, though. When you pick in fights, you have a guy in a three-fight skid, they're going to put it out there, especially a guy that either knocks people out or gets knocked out. Um, I think he's going to be hunting for a shot. He's, he's probably watching film, training for a moment, and he's going to try to take advantage of that. On the other side, three losses. You're 33 years old in your prime. You had success. I think he was right in the top 15 at heavyweight at some time. Took these three losses. It's been a brutal, brutal skid. Where is his mindset at, right? His brother's gone through a little bit of a skid, Kyle, as well. I'm sure he'll be okay. I think he's like an ex-cop or detective. I'm sure he's mentally tough. He'll be fine. He'll show out here. But I am taking Khalil for my picks. I am not confident enough to put this in the parlay consideration. Let's make some bread this week, though. I love me some pay-per-view cards. Uh, I haven't been very successful on the numbered pay-per-viewed cards because there's always uh, a lot of underdogs that, that don't end up hitting, it seems like. But um, a fight that is way, way too long in the making. We got Nasserdine, the Russian sniper, Amavov. 28 years old with a 12-4 and record and the number 12 next to his name. Taking on Chris Action Man Curtis. The 35-year-old fighter with a 30-10 and 10 record, 40 professional fights, and the number 14 next to his name. Now, again, we finally get the fight. It's been booked a few times before. This fight could very well be the perfect timing, funny enough, though. Like, although it didn't happen before, it might be a better fight now. Um, both men are coming off very tough losses. They're looking to get back on track, and I think... Chris, as seasoned as he is, um, is probably hungrier than ever. And Nasser Dean, I think, is probably improved and has a little bit more experience. Nasser Dean is in his, isn't in his prime. He's only 28. Chris is right on the edge of his prime. But with 40 professional fights, definitely has some miles on him, as they would say. It's kind of like a running back, right? Coming out of Bama, hundreds of carries. got some, a little bit of wear and tear on those tires. Uh, Nasser Dean is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA factory. He is on a one fight losing streak and he is three and two since the beginning of 2021. Five of his 12 wins are via knockout four via submission. So nine of his 12 victories via finish. Now, Chris trains out of extreme couture. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He is a Dana White contender series and PFL alum. He is on a one fight losing streak. He is 4-2 in the UFC. 17 of his 30 wins are via knockout. He had the 2021 Comeback Fighter of the Year. 
and three of his last five fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. He likes to come in and scrap. We're about to see a scrap. He's always showing out. He's action man. Now, I think this is going to be a little bit of kickboxing versus boxing. Um, Nasser Dean is going to have to land some big leg kicks from keeping Chris from coming forward and looking to fucking clean his clock, to be honest. Uh, you know, uh, Chris trains a lot with Sean Strickland. These guys give zero fucks. They're coming at you. So Nasser Dean's going to have to earn his respect to keep him at distance. If Chris is able to walk Nasser Dean down, I think it's going to be a long night in the office. But when it comes to my picks, I have been back and forth on here. But I'm taking the underdog. I'm taking the veteran. A guy that I've picked against quite a bit since he's been in the UFC and he has shoved it right in my face. Bravo to you, Chris. I'm taking action, man. Uh, as the underdog, and I am not putting him on a parlay, though. I'm taking him in the picks, but I ain't that confident. Should be a great fight. And that's the prelim headliner. I think they deserve to be on the main event, but uh, or on the main card, but that is not my decision. Moving into the main card, we also get a very, very evenly uh, matched fight. We got Mark andre Powerball Beralt, the 33-year-old fighter with a 15-6 record, taking on Eric, ya boy, Anders, 36 years old with a 15-7 record. I've always laughed at that nickname. And as Joe Rogan typically does, Joe Rogan had Eric on and was asking about his nickname and he was clowning your boy and I felt the same way but every time I see that I think of that that uh you know run back the film of that Joe Rogan episode of him talking about your boy um but yeah interesting nickname power bar very deserving with the cardio the, the local Canadian this is going to be one hell of a fight very evenly matched both men have fought similar fighters I just think Mark is going to outlast Eric over the course of three rounds like he typically does his opponents, but we'll see. Now, Mark, he trains out of Sanford MMA. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 4-2 and two since the beginning of 2021, and 10 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Now, Eric, he's got a kickboxing and BJJ background. He, he has a brown belt in BJJ. He trains out of fight ready. He is an LFA and Bellator alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Nine of his 15 wins are via knockout, and he has 2-2-1 two, two, since the beginning of 2021. I think Mark is going to mix in a bunch of takedown attempts and look to av avoid the big shots of Eric. Like I said with Blake, I think he's going to work that jab, which looked really good in his last fight recently. Keep on his bike, keep his legs going, move around the octagon, make Eric work for any of those close-range shots. I wouldn't be surprised if Eric freaking comes out and damn near gets the job done in round one. But uh, just like the last fight against Marquez, against Mark a couple months ago, I think he's going to be able to outlast it, get through it, and then really put that endurance and cardio on Eric uh, in the later rounds. I think that'll pay dividends. Mark right now is minus 145, so he is the, Ve the Vegas favorite. I'm uh, putting him on my picks, but not putting him on a parlay, but we're taking the Canadian Fighter. I almost forgot about this fight. I mean, this card, low-key, the matchmaking. I love brilliant matchmaking, right? This is brilliant matchmaking right here. We got Dan 50K Ige, the 31-year-old fighter with a 16-6 and record and the number 13 next to his name, taking on Nate the Train Landwehr, 
the 34-year-old fighter with a 17-4 and record. I mean, banger alert. Some of the most down dudes in the UFC. Both guys have already fought this year. They're looking to be a force in the featherweight division in the top 10. Ige's been there. He wants to get back there. Nate's fiending for it. He's got a promo ready. You already know it. Dan trains out of AKA. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's an RFA, Legacy Legacy FC, Cage Fury, Titan FC, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-3 and three since the beginning of 2021, but he lost three in a row to just some fucking savages. Movsar of Loev, Josh Emmett, and the Korean Zombie. Now, Nate is an M1 alum. He's a former champion with two successful title defenses. His last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. Eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are via knockout. To knock out or to be knocked out, that's Nate the Train. He is on a three-fight winning streak. This guy likes fight of the night bonuses. So does Ige. That's why they call him 50K. I thought Dan looked great in his last fight. Nate looked solid. You know, he had the short notice fill in there. I just feel like Dan is so battle-tested against some of the best talent in the featherweight division. After the fight where he got just the shit beat out of him, I mean, he admits that. It's interesting, as I look to blow this podcast up, I just want to say what I want to say. You know, if it does get to that point, fighters will hear it. They'll feel a certain way. I'm just being myself, I guess. I think he would uh, agree, though. Um, You know, when he got his ass kicked by Calvin Cater, he took some time off. He came back, beat Gavin Tucker. He lost all three of those fights via UD. Um, You know, it's not like he was getting knocked out. But I feel like where he's at in his career right now, which is right at the edge of his prime, or right at the beginning of his prime at 31, with all that experience, I, I, I really do feel like what we saw a glimpse of in the last fight is the best version of Dan that we've seen. I think he's going to outbox Nate the train. I think his kicks are really going to help slow Nate, slow Nate down. But Nate's a dog. He's going to battle till the fucking end. I can't wait to see this. I'm taking 50K. I'm betting he's going to get 50K. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Mike Proper Ballot. The 31-year-old fighter with a 9-1-1 and record. Taking on Adam Fugit, the 34-year-old fighter with a 9-3 and record. Now, I'm stoked for this fight, man. We get the hometown Canadian taking on another LFA alum who is newer to the UFC. But both men are in their primes with some momentum. It should make for a great matchup. This isn't one that I would typically see this high up on a main card. But it's the local fighter. Mike Mallett's looked great. He deserves it. And I think this matchup is going to be better than most people think. When we look at the Vegas odds, Mike's a 205 favorite right now. Now, Mike trains out of Team Alpha Male. He is on a four-fight winning streak. He is a Contender Series, Cage Fury, Bellator, and World Series of Fighting alum. These guys have been around. Five of his nine wins are via submission, four via knockout, so nine of nine via finish. That's the proper Mike Mallet for you. Now, Adam is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He's an LFA alum. Five of his nine wins are via knockout, three via submission. 
So eight of his nine wins are via finish as well. And he does have a four-inch reach advantage. Now, I believe Mike's striking is going to be too much for Adam. He does get a little overzealous um, with the with – the, he can't get overzealous with the power of Adam. I think Mike is a little bit just more well-rounded. I think this should be a fun one. It's on the main card for a reason. I wouldn't be surprised if it showed out. But I am taking the local Canadian fighter. I'm taking proper mallet. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we gain that bread. Moving on. So, again, I, I said I love proper matchmaking. Just quickly. Kyle Nelson, Blake Builder. That's probably great matchmaking. Nasser Dinamavov, Chris Curtis. It should have happened. It's happening. Mark andre Beralt, Eric Anders, Dan Ige, Nate the Train. But we're talking about Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush. Charles Dubronx Oliveira, 33-year-old fighter with a 33-9 record and the number one next to his name, taking on Benil Dariush, the 34-year-old fighter with a 22-4-1 record and the number four next to his name. I just love when a fighter finally gets their moment and we finally get this fight, which it had been kind of booked a little bit before. Weren't sure when it was going to happen, but we finally give Dariush the big fight he deserves. No, it's not the title, but um, this is going to give him the title fight if he gets the victory. And to get there, he has to go through from one of the, go through one of the baddest champions in the UFC, Dubronx Oliveira. He's a bad man. He's so bad, it's going to take us five minutes to read through his accolades. Not really, but it's, it's long. Charles, he trains out of Shootbox Academy. He is a third-degree black belt in BJJ. He's a former lightweight champion. Nine of his 14 fights have been performance of the night. Let me say this again. Nine of his 14 fights have been performance of the night. He's a fucking cash cow. I'm the cash cow, the UFC cash cow. I mean, this guy, the ups and downs, the performances of late, savage. Just fucking savage. 2014 submission of the year against Hatsu Hioki. The most finishes in UFC history with 19 of them things. Most submission wins in UFC history was 16. Most submission wins in UFC lightweight history was 10. Most submission wins in featherweight history, 6. He has two different divisions, most submission victories. It's a third-degree black belt for you. He is tied with Donald Cerrone for the most post-fight bonuses in UFC history. Shall we break the record? Most performance of the night awards in UFC history with 12. He's tied with Islam Makachev for the third longest win streak in UFC lightweight history with 11, which it's funny that Islam uh, beat him to end that record, but... Second most submission attempts in UFC history with 40. The 2021 Comeback Fighter of the Year. The 2021 Fighter of the Year. He wasn't the Comeback Fighter of the Year. He had the 2021 Comeback of the Year against Michael Chandler. He got starched early, got the submission. 2022 Fighter of the Year and 2022 Submission of the Year against Justin Gaethje. He's a jungle fight and ring of combat alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and that was the one that ended his 11-fight winning streak. 21 of his 33 wins are via submission, 9 via knockout, 
So 30 of 33 via finish. You want to talk about accolades in a resume? Dubronx is shining like those pearly whites he got going on. But again, I fucking love me some Benil. And, it, you know, it's like these are some of the most likable guys in the sport, as much badasses as they are. And uh, I, I really wish Benel got a title shot. I feel like he's going down the ter- Tony Ferguson hole here so damn close and never gets it. But Benil has a BJJ background. He's a black belt. Also a black belt in Muay Thai. He trains at a King's MMA. Four of his last seven fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. Again, these guys show up, they show out, and they're must-see TV. He's on an eight-fight winning streak. Eight of those 22 wins are via submission, and three of his four losses are via knockout. Everything, I mean everything Benil has done in the UFC, massively impressive. If there was a man in the division that has a a resume unlike anyone else, though, it's Charles, right? I think this is going to be a striking battle. I think that maybe even Benil tries to mix mix in a little bit of like unorthodox takedowns, not your typical takedown attempts. He's going to have to do something because I think Charles has a striking advantage. But hey, Benil's been doubted his whole career. He always shows up. He just looks like one of those guys that's just very dad body. You know, it's like he just looks like a dad. You know, his family's there. He's training in the embedded. He doesn't look like a killer, but golly, he's a fucking killer. If this is how the fight unfolds and it is a striking matchup, I think Charles is going to show more. Uh, 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 I just feel like he's, when you have octagon time against the best of the best, the Gaethje's, the Poirier, the Chandler, Ferguson before, uh, you know, his, his talent kind of fell down a bit. I really do think the best striker Benil has defeated on this run, in my opinion, is probably Drew Dober, who's still a fucking scrapper. But I feel like Charles, you know, he, he talked about how much he wants this. He's having fun. He just has all the experiences. Sometimes when you've been through anything and everything, you don't get phased. You're more prepared. I'm sure Benel is prepared as possible. I'm sure he's going to put on a fight, but I can't pick against Dubronx, Oliveira. I'm taking Charles. Charles, let's see, is a plus 125? What? Plus 125. I I don't know if I believe that, but this is on VegasInsider.com. We're taking the underdog. Charles is eating. He's added to the records. We're putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then we have the main event. We haven't even started with the main event. We got Amanda the Lioness Nunez, 35 years old with a 22-5 and record, taking on Irene Aldana, 35 years old with a 14-6 and record and the number five next to her name. In my opinion, the quote, she's taken on some new prey, but this time it's in the form of the Mexican fighting spirited warrior Aldana, the training partner of the newly crowned Mexican flyweight champion Alexa Grasso. Will story continue? Will this energy feed off to Aldana? It's going to be fun. Amanda has a black belt in BJJ. She's got a brown belt in judo. She's a two-time double champ with five successful title defenses at the bantamweight division, two in featherweight. She's the first woman in UFC history with two titles. 
the first fighter in UFC to defend titles in two divisions while holding both simultaneously. She is the sixth multi-divisional champ. She has the longest combined UFC title reign of all time over the course of 3,599 days. Again, the quote. She's tied for the most wins in UFC women's history with 15. She has the most wins in UFC title fights amongst women with 10. The most knockout wins in UFC women's bantamweight division with 6. The most finishes in, women's U- in UFC women's history with 10. The most finishes in UFC women's bantamweight division history with 8. The most consecutive wins by a woman in UFC with 12. The most consecutive wins in UFC women's bantamweight division history with 9. The most wins in women's bantamweight division history with 12. The most wins in UFC women's bantamweight championship fights with 7. The most knockdowns in UFC women's bantamweight division history was 6. She holds wins over seven former or current UFC champions, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Valentina, Shevchenko two times, can't wait for the third one, Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy two times, Chris Cyborg, and Juliana Pena. She was the 2016, 18, 19, and 20 Female Fighter of the Year. She had the 2018 Upset of the Year against Chris Cyborg, which was also the 2018 Knockout of the Year. She's on a one-fight winning streak after the Pena fight where Pena shocked the world and ended her 12-fight winning streak. Ya boy was there. Shit was unreal. She's an Invicta alum. 13 of her 22 wins are via knockout. She has a two-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. She's a recent mom with another on the way. Irene is on a two-fight winning streak. She's a jungle fight and Invicta alum. Eight of her 14 wins are via knockout. She is 7-4 and four in the UFC, and her highest quality opponent, in my opinion, was Holly Holm, which was in 2020 where she lost. And not to discredit Irene, but we're talking about the GOAT, the Lioness, who I still, in a lot of ways, feel like doesn't get the love she deserves. And, you know, it took me a while to, to really praise her. We got to give these fighters their flowers. You know, the things that they've accomplished, I mean... We talked about Charles' resume, but look at that resume, man. Golly. I do think Irene is going to provide some challenges for Amanda. I think the loss to Pena doomed the rest of the women in the UFC, though. The Lioness is only 35. She has a lot left in the tank. She showed that in her last fight. Irene fought Macy Chiasin last. And no offense, but going from Macy Chiasin to Amanda Nunez, it's a big leap. I think Amanda is going to want to showcase her striking and remind people what she is capable of with her power, her precision. But I think she'll definitely get a couple timely takedowns to wear on Irene. If, if she just wants to strike and get after it, I think that that opens up more opportunity for Irene. And it makes me wonder, Alexa Grasso, who did she beat before Valentina? She took a big step up as well. She went from Vivian Araujo. Uh, to Valentina. She fought JoJo Wood, Macy Barber. Yeah, I mean, she took a big step up as well. But relating to the Grasso fight, unless there is a crazy thing Irene has been training for, a super slim moment in the Lioness's game, and she catches her like Alexa caught Valentina with the spinning uh, technique late into the fight when she was a little bit gassed and going straight for the back, 
if she doesn't find an opening that's something super prepared for, I just don't see the lioness going down here. She is too talented. She's too hungry. She just seems happy with where you're at, which could be the most deadliest thing sometimes. I'm taking the lioness. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Stacked card. Super excited to have another pay-per-view event. Next weekend, we will be breaking down another Apex card, a decently deep card, UFC Fight Night 75, with a great headliner, Marvin, the Italian Dream Batori, and Jared, the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer. Episode 1, Bows and TKOs. If you have any comments on this, I'll be putting out some clips. I never put clips out before. Um, I'm trying to level up. Give me some feedback. You want me to talk about certain things, dive deeper, talk about fighters. Would love to do it. It's the people's show. We'll see you guys on episode two. Check out fueledsupplements.com. See you next week.